Bruce, and welcome to another episode of In the Area Podcast. Wow. Your weekly source for wisdom nuggets. Today, I sit down with Andrew Lambert, a fourth grade teacher at the Vail Mountain School. Listeners of this podcast are worms. We are curious. We are vulnerable with other people, and we go on adventures. And if you'd like to turn into a worm, subscribe to us on any app that streams podcasts. Know that we're recording live from Vail, and enjoy today's episode. So I teach fourth and fifth grade, so these are nine, okay. nine 10, 11 year old kids, and they... Um, it's right at that age where they're really starting to develop their personality, their sense of humor and things like that. And I feel like I've got a little bit of control over it Nice. where I can mold that sense of humor. Like, like I could, uh, (laughs) say I could foster that sense of humor and, um, allow them to be themselves. But also it's, you know, not quite that middle school age where it starts getting a little angsty and a little bit, Mm. you know, you know, on the, on the wrong side of the line. Right. So I like to, you know, kind of steer them to hey, keep that personality, keep that yeah. sense of humor. That's fucking awesome. But make sure you, you know, you still have the respect for your, for your teachers, for your teachers, and elders. And, yeah, yeah. yeah so all that, yeah, you know, cliche nonsense. But yeah, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to hear about your uh, upbringing because you come from a family of eleven siblings, which is uh, in our day and age, especially coming from a big city. I feel like that's like unusual. You know, so can you can you take me through a little bit what it was like growing up? And well, I don't. I mean, I don't technically come from a big city. I come from you know a Long Island suburb. Um, so when I you know when I do say I'm from New York, I'm from you know, the state of New York and Long Island. But you know, New York City is my city. Um, Got it. But I always give that same answer with the big family that when people ask, you know, what's that like? To me, it was normal. You know, that's all. I'm on the younger side of it. I have eight older siblings. I'm the ninth. So for me, it was. Uh, it's all I knew, you know, I, I was never part of a small family. So when people are talking about, you know, being an only child, they're only having one sibling, you know, to me, that, to me, that's abnormal. You know? <laughs> right, and, right. and I'm more curious about like, what the hell was that? Like? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, did it feel tight? Like, did it feel like, all right, personal space? Like, come on. Um, yeah, I never had any personal space. I could probably count on one hand the number of times I was like, you know, truly home alone grow, wow. growing up. You know, there was always somebody around doing something. Jeez. And is it brothers, sisters, equal mix? Uh, it's seven girls and four boys. Got it. So you're, one, you're in the minority. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you talk about sense of humor uh, with the kids. Like, what mm-hmm. is your sense of humor? Um, it's kind of funny. because My sense of humor is very dry. Um, I, like to, I like to think I got a, you know, a fair share of wit. Um, and I draw, off, I draw off my experiences a lot, a lot of the stories that I tell the kids. Mm. Um, and you go back to like your education training, especially at this grade level, lower school grade levels, nine, 10, 11 year old kids, they tell you you cannot be sarcastic with them because they don't get sarcasm. Mm. Um, from day one, I challenged that theory. Wow. And I feel like I have come out on the, on the right side of, you know, because if, if you do it from the right place, you're not belittling anybody. You're not putting anybody down. It works, you know, and they start appreciating it. It doesn't happen from day one, like with a new class, especially at the, you know, the beginning part of the year. But again, like you're not belittling kids. You're just letting them, I'm just being myself. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's makes the job fun. Well, you say you like to tell the kids some stories. What are, what are some like Lambert favorites, man? My students, by the end of the year, they know my family, even though they've never met anybody. So a lot of my stories come from my childhood and my upbringing. And I guess one story in particular that I do tell at the beginning of the year is because one of my classroom rules is 
you're basically not there. Like I'll mark you absent if you haven't said hello to me. Oh. And I say hello to everybody, whether I'm at the door greeting them when they walk in or, um, you know, if I'm by, behind my desk kind of doing some prep work as, as they're doing their morning work. But we say hello to each other. And that came mm-hmm. from, a, from my grandfather, um, who was kind of like a legend in my town growing up. He was a cardiologist, had his practice in town. And like when you would walk around town with my grandfather, it was kind of like walking around with a celebrity. Because he knew everybody, you know, and he kind of felt proud to be his grandson. So there was a time growing up in his house, which is the house my dad grew up in, he would host Sunday night dinner. So, and my dad's the oldest of eight, so I got a ton of cousins as well. So we would all go over on Sunday nights for dinner and he would, you know, mostly he would cook it and he was always in charge of doling out the, uh, the desserts and he would go to like Costco and buy like full packs of Skittles. Um, you know, so that was a, re- that was a regular type of dessert he would give out. Um, nice. Or it was like ice cream sandwiches or whatever, but he was always in charge of giving out the dessert. So all the cousins would, um, you know, we'd line up and wait for a bag of Skittles. So I'm like, you know, getting all giddy here and I'm waiting for my turn in line. And he, um, as I put my hand out to get the Skittles, he kind of pulls it back. And he's like, they call me Rue. Rue has nothing to do with the name Andrew, but he's like, Rue, how, uh, how long have you been at my house for? I'm like, I don't know, a couple hours. He's like, you ate my dinner? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you've been running around my yard? Yeah. So you've been here for a couple hours and you never once stopped to come over and say hi to your grandfather. Wow. And he didn't give me that bag of Skittles. Whoa. Yeah. So like it was a lesson learned. Wow. Um, and I'm not that harsh with my fourth graders in the homeroom, but <laughs> um, it definitely directly influenced that, that rule I have in the classroom. And I Man. tell the kids that, so that's kind of one of the things. So at the beginning of the year, they're a little bit more shy about saying hello. Um, but you know, we're three or four weeks into the school year and they're all trained up and yeah, we say hello to each other every morning. That's really cool, man. All all thanks to my grandfather. Wow. It just, the world feels nicer when people stop and say hi to you. Oh yeah. And I tell, and I tell them that it's not just in the classroom. Like if someone says hi in the halls, just respond, you know? Yeah. You know, it's just kind of a common courtesy, I suppose. Yeah. It's a small gesture that can go a long way. Yeah. So you got stories like that, like you're able to draw on you know, anecdotes from your past life, from not your past life, but from your life mm-hmm. that have had big impacts on you. Can you think of other moments in your life that have had big impacts like the Skittle story? Um, I mean, I suppose they're there. I mean, off the top of my head, I don't know if I'm going to draw on those, but like kind of going back to that, that theme of connections I was just telling you about, um, as, um, as these kids are kind of, uh, you know, reading through their list and kind of coming up with their own stories, I'll make these random connections and I'll write them on the board and, and like with these, um, you know, just on my whiteboard, I'll write, like, this week I had a windy camping trip. I had Uncle Feather. Um, and a few and a few more, and I'll just list them. So, like, when the time is right, I'll just share with them another story, which, you know, could just be another thing that we write down. Because, like I said, we're, we're, we're writing narratives in class right now. And there's a story in everything with our lives. Mm. Um, so, whether I get to that story, on, you know, on the spot, or if it's something that I get to a couple days later, um, it's written on the board. So, they're kind of begging right now for the... I told him the the Uncle Feather story, which isn't really what is it? What <laughs> it's, is the Uncle Feather story? It's, no, it's stupid. It's just my. Oh. It's a story. It's just, it's my brother's bird when we were growing up. His name was Uncle oh. Feather. So they're all stupid stories. There's no, yeah. nothing nothing worth sharing right now. Yeah. Um, but right now they're begging for yeah. the for the, the Uncle for the windy windy camping oh. trip story, which I haven't told them yet. But basically, mm. that ends with. That was a trip to Utah. I think there was like eight of us, most of us teachers, and we all come back with some sort of neurovirus and we're oh no, basically shitting our brains out for a day. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but, and it was windy. That was the name of the campsite? No, no, I just remembered it being super windy. And, mm. and two of the three nights we were there, I 
swore my tent was just going to get picked up and hurled off the uh, canyon wall. Wow. So my memory works like I have a more general memory. I feel like when it comes to recalling specific anecdotes, sometimes I struggled. Would you say that you when when things happen to you, you have like a pretty strong memory, like a specific memory? Yeah, the sto- yeah, and 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 I do try to relate everything to a story. You know, whether it's you know for better or for worse, like coming up, grow up, you know, being raised in a large family, like I have my friends, but my brother has his friends and all my sisters have their friends. And and we were exposed to all that. And I was exposed to a lot at a young age with all those older siblings. Mm. Um, and I just feel like the the stories and all the the nonsense that I, uh, I witnessed over the years have kind of planted and seeded themselves somewhere in my brain. And oftentimes these writing classes that I that I start teaching, I, I don't come in with a planned story to tell them. It all just, it does happen organically um, just based on, like I said, those connections that we're trying to make as we chat. Wow, that's really exciting. Yeah. Do you, When you think of yourself, do you think of like a, is there a story? Is there a story to you like right up to this point? Is that? Um, I don't think especially, no. Um, yeah, like in, with me and all my siblings, like we're all unique. A few of us, not all of us, but a few of us have, you know, worn that black sheep label um, at certain times or another. I probably wore it for, for longer than most of my siblings, but we all figured it out in the end. What do you mean black sheep? Um, well, I guess it's kind of easy to get lost in the shuffle in a large family, but you have to do something, I guess, a little bit, not extreme. I don't want to say that. Like, I wasn't a bad boy or anything like that, but... Mm. Um, I was the only one of of the eleven to to not go in and out of college in four years. Like I like truly failed out. Wow. Not necessarily because of grades, but just because of lack of showing up and wow. la- lack of output. And I kind of just fizzled out somewhere in my senior year. And uh, yeah, so in and out in nine years. I think it ultimately took me between when I started college and then finally got my degree. Well, did you feel did you feel like judged by your family? Um. Yeah, I suppose at some points there was probably a little bit of judgment going on, but we all have our faults. So no right. one, no one, no one in the family is immune to yeah to criticism, and we all yeah, we're pretty honest with each other. Totally. And then, at, what, how long after college did you move? Decide to move out to Vail, Colorado? Um, well, it depends on. So college was supposed to stop for me in two thousand four, but I think it stopped for me in two thousand nine, um, and then I moved out here in January of thirteen. So there was a number of years. Um, but in, in that in-between time when I was bef- – after I would failed out of college and before I went back as, as, as an adult learner, um, <laughs> I, uh, I spent a year in AmeriCorps. They had this program, the NCCC, which was the National Civilian Community Corps, and they had a campus in Denver, which is where they stationed me and – the year is basically divided up into like four four sections, and you have four different projects. And the first project, and this was right after this is in two thousand six, right after Hurricane Katrina, which was in August of '05, I want to say. Mm. So the like ninety percent of the campus from Denver was schlepping down to the Gulf Coast to help clean up, but they had this ski team that they put together in, in the off the Denver campus. So we were working with uh, an adaptive ski program in Winter Park, Colorado called the National Sports Center for the Disabled. So that was really my first time ever, um, really ever teaching anything. Um, so I spent um, basically the winter of 06 with AmeriCorps as a full-time volunteer working with um, 
the adaptive ski community there and loved it so much that me and a couple buddies, we wound up applying to come back the following winter. So I wound up spending two winters in Winter Park with the with the NSCD. Mm. And um, that's kind of what opened my eyes to special education. So from there, I um, moved back to New York after my second winter in Winter Park. Um, enrolled back in college to finish my undergrad degree as an adult learner. Mm. And then um, pretty much immediately went right back into into a graduate program to get a, a master's in uh, special ed. Wow. Oh, and then, so how did I end up in Vail was basically when I finished my master's, um, the state of New York wasn't even hiring teachers. They were kind of laying, they were actually laying off tenured teachers. So job market was uh, bleak to say the least. So I kind of uh, started spinning my wheels and looking back into Colorado. And that's ultimately how I saw this job posting and I haven't looked back. Wow. Yeah. And working with special education, is that different than working with what's the, what's the term students who are not in, in special education? Like a mainstream classroom. Um, yeah. I think on paper it is. And in most, um, most would probably say yes, but I actually <clears throat> have a lot of my, I think, you know, teaching with that special ed background, um, kind of provides for best practice for all kids. Um, mm. it just, it's, it just naturally is geared towards, um, like, in, you know, teaching to the individual, not just teaching to the middle of the classroom where, yeah. where, where you'll, where you'll t- like most ears will be able to listen to you if you're teaching to the middle. Uh, but being to individualize some lessons and individualize, um, you know, the instruction, especially as a writing teacher, like when everyone's working on a different project at the same time, it's just, um, yeah, I think my special ed background has, you know, prepared me pretty well just to kind of, you know, work to the individual student and not just teach into the class. Mm. What do you think is the most important lesson for kids to take away from your class? I know that we all got stories to tell. Um, and you're, and you know, and your, and your stories are worth being heard, you know, so I know, you know, a lot of kids just, you know, might, might not have that confidence to put, you know, get the thoughts from their brain, you know, through their hand and the pencil down on the paper. But no, I think if they come out confident that their, their stories are worth being heard, then I've, uh, then I've done my job. That's really fucking cool, man. Yeah. Were, were there ever moments that you, you felt like, well, what the hell am I doing? Why, <laughs> why am, why am I doing this right now? Why am I in this class doing this? Um, I mean, I don't know if anything in particular jumps out where I've, I've, I've second guessed myself. I don't think I've, I've really done that since I, since I became a teacher. Um, I mean, I would say maybe like, you know, during that distance learning phase that we had oh at, at the end of last school year, those, those two and a half months, um, you know, that was probably the most challenging you yeah. know, couple months that I've had as a teacher of just trying to, you know, cause for me, um, you know, I'd mentioned before, like, you're kind of like doing like a stand up routine when you're in front of the classroom, but like the personality or my personality, it's, it's, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to convey that through a, like a zoom meeting when you've got, you know, maybe, you know, 14 or 15 or 16 kids on the other end, you know, looking through your computer screen, you know, and some of them are lying in bed, you know, Oh, here's the family dog too. You know, and like, there's just, it's so hard to, to, to emulate that, you know, to emulate what I'm doing in the classroom and to try to translate that into, um, into like the, the online experience. That was, that was the most challenging part was just, you know, getting my personality out there. And I, I struggled with it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you ever have kids in your class who are trying to steal the thunder from you who are whose personalities are so big that it's like, Oh no, they're, they're becoming the center of attention. Um, I mean, yeah, that happens, but I don't, I don't know if that's the way I would phrase it where they're trying to <laughs> steal my, <laughs> steal, steal, steal my thunder, you know, there's, there's plenty of thunder to share, but yeah, no, that's, I mean, those are, that's kids being kids. Damn. Yeah. 
Mr. Lambert's class. Do, do you like being called Mr. Lambert, or if if it if it could change, would you go by Andrew? <laughs> most don't even call me Miss. Most just call me Lambert. Okay. <laughs> even outside of work, is that yeah? yeah you get, or, or lamb chop. What do you yeah. prefer? Because I, I find myself I I've, I call you Andrew a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. I don't even like. What do you prefer? Um. Well, out here, most people call me do call me just Lambert, but that right. was that was a nickname or just a you know that that couldn't fly in my hometown just because there was too many of us. So out here, yeah, I guess it's kind of um. Yeah, if they just call it me. works out here. It, Wait, work, it does work out here. Yeah, you said you went by Rue, but that has nothing to do with Andrew. What is? Where did you get the name Rue from? Um, yeah, so it's R O O, and it, I, the story I know is I I didn't have, and again I don't remember this. This is what's been told to me from my from my mom, my sisters, I suppose. Was um, I didn't have a blanket. I didn't have like a stuffed animal of mine, you know, growing up. But I had a book. I think it was called Little Rue. It was about some kangaroo. I suppose. <laughs> I've never read the. I mean. <laughs> And apparently, I couldn't fall asleep until little, until that was read to you. Until Little Rue was read to me, <laughs> and I guess somehow or another, it just stuck. And and back home, I mean, that's pretty much all you know, wow. f- friends and family. That's all they call me. Wow, Rue. Do you you haven't like read the book since? I haven't seen it since. No, I don't. No I, I'm not even sure if we own the copy anymore. Or what happened to it? But dude, I bet you'd still feel some type of way if that story was read to you now. Probably, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure there would yeah, some some flood of memory would come rushing back if I if I got my hands on that book. Yeah. Would you guys like vacation and stuff like that as a family? I I'd imagine it being pretty challenging. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't get on a I didn't get on an airplane until I was like 20 or 21 years old, mm. and I flew from from Baltimore to uh, to Long Island, and it was like a like a 30 minute flight. And that was, that was my <laughs> actually the funny story though. My first ever flight, I um. I, I, a, a buddy of mine, Mike Tamburino, Tambo, we, um, he lived on Long Island as well. And we were flying up from Baltimore, which was where my college was. And, uh, of course I'm like licking the windows. I had a window seat. I'm like <laughs> licking the windows as we're coming up, com- coming across, um, you know, coming in to land on at MacArthur airport on Long Island. And I look over back at my buddy. I'm like, dude, I'm looking in my bedroom window right now. So true story. The first time I was ever on a flight, the way the, uh, you know, the flight pattern came, came in and around like we're going over the circle and it circled around over the great south bay i see like the robert moses causeway and now we're coming in on like the south shore of long island and like you know like i you know like like reading a map you're kind of just a couple you know maybe a thousand two thousand feet off the ground and um you know i was able to find like where you know these two roads kind of intersect and i'm like oh that's you know that's a wick so that's inadequate and i kind of traced it down and now we're getting lower and i'm like i'm looking at my i'm looking out right at my bedroom window no way yeah so um but vacations, um, yes, yeah, so that was the first time I was on a flight. It was when I was like 20 or 21. I was flying, really cool. flying from Baltimore back to Long Island. But um, our vacations, um, not really. We went to we, we went on like a ski trip every year. My uh, my aunt and uncle had a um, ski house in Vermont. So we'd get up to like a, we'd, you know, during February break, we'd go up and ski for a week. Were there enough beds for all of you guys to have your own room or would you all have to share? Yeah, no, this this house was a shit show because <laughs> there'd be, you know, it'd be all, you know, the mo- most of my family, a lot of my cousins there. I mean, I don't know how many. If there are forty people in the house, probably, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And those were, those, I mean, those were great times, just because all the cousins were, you know, romping around together, and then, you know, wow, wake up and go ski. <laughs> how would how would the like who would cook? I feel like you would need like multiple people like preparing food. I mean, the short answer, I guess, the adults cooked. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was the other thing. Like wherever we were, even if we were up skiing for a week, like my dad would find the church and we would go to church on Sundays. It was such a drag, but. Um, yeah, he would he would drag the whole Mike. The, every all uh, yeah, everybody. My cousins wouldn't have to go, but me and my me and my siblings we'd have to go. Um, 
but then I slowly escaped the, the, you know, the, uh, I was an altar boy and all that nonsense, but yeah, I, I kind of slowly, yeah. slowly grew out of that phase of my life. And I, you know, I, I guess the, there was a group of us who kind of turned, you know, not turned away from the church, but just kind of escaped from the church. And right. I, I feel like we've got a lot in common there. You just decided that it wasn't for you and you wanted to spend your time doing other things. Sure. Yeah. How old were you when that, when that happened? Um, I would su- sometime after getting my driver's license, you know, because like there okay. was, there was a five thirty mass on Sundays. That was, that was like the last chance math, uh, mass. So my dad would, you know, he'd march around the house and figure out who still hadn't gone to church that, that Sunday. And, you know, he'd pluck us out of the couch, you know? And <laughs> so with my driver's license, it started getting to a point where I'd like take my I have a younger sister and a younger brother and I drop them off at church. And then I just drive around for like an hour and then pick them up and go home. You oh, know? Nice. So it, 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 it kind of slowly, <laughs> yeah, I slowly let go. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It wasn't like a distinct moment where I said yeah. enough is enough. But yeah. What, kinda, is, what is the age in uh, New York for getting a driver's license? Oh, I think I think 17, Seven, like, like 16 you get your permit. I think yeah. 17 is when you could fully drive. Yeah. What was a uh, 17-year-old Lambert like? Um. <laughs> I mean, I guess I, I was exposed to a lot growing up with older siblings. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, seven, 17 year old Lambert probably drank too much. Right? Right, yeah. <laughs> Having and, a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I had a good time. Yeah. Totally. With your siblings or just like with your own friends that you had made yeah, just, yeah. from school? Yeah, just kids in the neighborhood. Yeah. And was that your main community? Was it the kids from your school or was it kids from? Well, that's actually kind of interesting because like I, um, I went to the Catholic school, like it's called St. Anthony's and it was like, you know, 20, 25 minutes away with no traffic. Um, but the kids I was hanging out with were all like the public school kids from, from my hometown. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I did not party much with my, my, the kids I went to high school with. I, I was hanging out with the kids from my town. Wow. What, what happened by your <clears throat> senior year of college where you just, were you just like getting tired of school? You said you, it was a showing up kind of thing. Yeah, I'm sure there was some undiagnosed anxiety or something there, mm. and I just kind of wasn't really. Um, I mean, I'd never taken the studies in college particularly seriously, <laughs> um, but I don't know if there was, you know, like I said, there's probably some un- undiagnosed anxiety there, some trepidation about what was going to happen when, mm. you know, when the school stuff was finally over, and what was I going to do with my life, and you know, who knows? I mean, I've never really psychoanalyzed that too much. Yeah, um, I do think, you know, like I think, you know the cliche that all things work out, you know, for a reason or happen for a reason. Mm. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. You know I mean? I had, a, I had, I had a blast in college yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Where did you go to school? It was called, uh, Loy- at the time it was Loyola college. Now it's Loyola university of Maryland. Oh, nice. It's a Jesuit, you know, kind of like a small liberal arts Jesuit school in Baltimore. Yeah. What, what would you, I'm curious, what would you say to like 24 year old neighbor? That's all that I am now. If you could look back and talk to him. Um, <laughs> pump the brakes. <laughs> yeah. No, like, you know, like w- where you are now as a 24 year old, I'm kind of, you know, like I said, I wouldn't change anything about my story, about my path, but it would have been cool to have figured, figured things out by the age of 24, as opposed to the age of like 30, when I finally feel like I figured things out. Mm. Um, like I feel like I was 29 or 30 when I, you know, first became like a, an official teacher, so to speak. Um, so yeah, it probably would have been nice to have pumped the brakes a little bit sooner and kind of got my my shit together a little bit earlier. What do you mean? You just fo- weren't focused on? I just had no direction. I mean, you know, there's that cliche of like being like a rudderless boat, just kind of like a, mm. like a cork on the water, just kind of bobbing around and taking each day as it comes, which, you know, for many is a good life philosophy. But 
I needed a little bit more structure in my life and, you know, my parents did everything they could to, to, to provide that structure, but I just, you know, I guess there was a, I don't know, some sort of immaturity about me that I didn't really, um, develop until, or a maturity that I didn't develop until, you know, closer to 30. What do you think happened? Was it just like, I don't know. I mean, it was, like I said, you know, I probably, um, got into the partying a little bit too young. So that I kind of prioritized mm. that. And then, um, There's something actually, you know, kind of like, I, I didn't even know what jobs were, you know, like I kind of go, this is kind of like a more of a, a broader picture here, but like, what were jobs growing up? You could be a doctor, you could be a lawyer, an accountant, you know, like I didn't really know what jobs were even out there. So like, not that I was too involved in high school, so I'm not pointing the blame or passing the blame here, but like, you know, in a guidance counselor role or something like that, it would, would have been nice to have some sort of like, you know, someone helping me, you know, guide me towards um, what the possibilities were. Um, wow. you know, there's a part of me that, you know, that likes working with my hands and, you know, like I, I always kind of was like, man, it would have been cool if like my dad was like a carpenter and I just went to like the carpentry, tr carpentry trade or something like that. Mm. Um, but for me, like no one ever said like blue collar work was okay work, you know? So like, it was always like, kind of like, you got to go down like the white collar path, but I had no direction for that, you wow. know? So, and again, I'm not, I'm not passing any blame at all. Like I said, totally. I was, I was I was probably a little too reckless at a at a young age and didn't really care to think about what was yeah gonna you know shape my future. Well, there's a lot there's a lot there too with having like the coolest grandpa in town. That's a cardiologist. That's a you know that's a tough job to have and to be really cool. It's like you want to be that. You know, you see the, all the respect that. Yeah, but you got to work for that. You right, know? And right. I, and I, you know, at that young age, I mean, I you know I like to think I had I had a natural. I've got, you know, natural brains, but I, I wasn't doing anything to exercise those brains, you know? Wow. So like, yeah, I put, I put that, I put that blame squarely on me. All right. Do you, do you have a mentor now? Um, I don't think I have anyone in particular that jumps out, but I, I do, I, you know, I draw on my colleagues and the people that, that have been teaching for a lot longer than I have. And, yeah. you know, just kind of, not that I say I study their approach or study their style, but, you know, I like to, you know, I, uh, I absorb it all, take yeah. it all in, and you know, like I said, I, I, I be my, I'm, I'm trying to be myself in the classroom, but I definitely, you know, lean on those who have been around longer for advice. And you, you, you talk about like this period in your twenties, kind of feeling like a, like a unhinged, you know, bottle floating around mm -hmm. with no direction. Like, do you think? Do you like take a step back and look at what you're doing now and see see where you're going, or, or do you not think too into what you're doing? Do you just go day by day? I mean, I think. To a certain extent, it is very much day to day. Um, I mentioned before, like you know, my routines. Like I am, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a, like a yeah man of routine, and I kind of just stick to my routine. And I try to you know exercise a couple days a week and have that you know work you know work life balance. You know, remain in a healthy uh, that you know remain have that remain at a healthy level. And I don't know, yeah, there's really not much thought. You know? <laughs> like I, I'm not a very philosophical guy. I don't really yeah. kind of. I don't ponder things too much or I try not to ponder yeah. things too much. So I kind of, yeah, I guess I, I guess I do take it day by day. That's cool. I, I admire that too. Cause sometimes I can get so lost and that was a period mm -hmm. in college. I was going through depression. I was analyzing everything I was doing and I was getting so deep that I just felt so paralyzed mm -hmm. because I, I couldn't get out of that. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to just go, go through the day and just kind of be present and, you know, stay in the moment. No, oh, sure. I mean, you know, like as much as I love my job, like, every time a Friday afternoon rolls around and the carpool's over and the kids are gone, like, I mean, 
I feel, I, feel, <laughs> I mean, I, I suppose that's what retirement feels like. And it happens like every Friday, oh you know, gosh. like I could just, I could compartmentalize it and just put it out of my, wow. out of my mind until, you know, sometime Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, when you got to start digging into the emails again and start gearing right. up for another work week. But yeah, no. What are, what are some of your favorite routines? Um, <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, there's yeah. nothing, again, there's nothing really. Um, All right, you took, yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's just, yeah, I can't. I can't really elaborate on it. Like, there's, there's, okay. there's nothing. I don't think worth. Um, you know, I don't think anyone really cares to hear about it. Well, I'm kidding. Maybe, yeah. maybe so as you go through, maybe it'll be like, oh, maybe that's fucking interesting. Like, all right, you took me through your morning routine. What do you do after school? Um, I don't know. I don't really leave work, and you know, four thirty would be the earliest I really do leave. I try to. I don't ever try to take work home with me, so I want to make sure I'm prepped and ready to go for the next day. Um. Yeah, that just makes the the evenings more enjoyable. So if I want to watch a hockey game or something like that, when I go home, I'm not thinking about work. Nice. Um, so I'd say everything I do, you know, once the once car pulls over and the kids are all picked up, that I'm I'm just gearing so I, when I do get home, you know, making dinner, watching a hockey game or something like that is, you know, my head's clear. Then that's pretty much so. Every you know, whatever routines I have are all just geared to making sure my head's clear. Totally. Are, are there any are there any spots in Vale that you've discovered? that you're like, oh my gosh, like if you live here, you need to know about this spot. Um, I own, I own a fly rod and waders. Oh, I went like four times this year and didn't catch a fish. <laughs> the people I was with were catching fish. So yeah, it's my fault. Not, 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 <laughs> not the river, not the river's fault. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something I would like to get more involved in and, and, and gain some more knowledge, but yeah, yeah so I'm very, very much a novice. Well, that that's a sport that it's not even about catching the fish from what no, enthusiasts yeah. tell me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I went four times this summer, four or five times this summer, didn't catch a single fish, but also did not, yeah. did not have a bad time. I, you know. Yeah. Did, did you see any fish or? Oh yeah, I see them. <laughs> just, they're just not biting. Well, yeah, I'm just, uh, yeah, okay. I, yeah. my, my, my presentation isn't, isn't where it needs to be. That's a, that's an industry term. Okay. What does that mean? Like you, what you, well, you can't just like slap the water, you know, like mm. with, with the fly, like it's got to be, you know, gentle. Yeah. You got to present it for the fish. Wow. Interesting. So, so it looks all natural for oh, them. I like that. Yeah. I've never heard it put like that. That's cool. Yeah. There's a, um, one of my sisters, my sister, Caitlin, she, uh, she and her husband, they, they've come out a couple of times and we've gone fishing with guides and, uh, this one guide, he was coaching me on this, like, I don't know, I don't know what the hell it's called, but it's like, a, it's like a two move cast. So it's like, cause of the, you know, where he wanted me to put this fly, where he wanted me to drop this fly was pretty far. You know, you couldn't, it was too far for just one single, you know, yeah. one single move to get it there. It was like a double move to get it there. I suppose. I don't know what the hell it's called. <laughs> Um, but as I'm getting it out there, like my fly is just smack, smack, smack. Like each time it's getting a little further, but it's just smacking the, the water as yeah. it gets there. And when I finally got it to where he was pointing to, he's like, yeah, that fish isn't there anymore. <laughs> so, I, so I'm like, was that slapping, scaring the fish? And he goes, you're a teacher, right? And I go, yeah. He's like, all right, well, here's this for an analogy. Picture yourself. You're sitting on your couch. You're at home. You're sitting on your couch and you hear machine gun fire on the front lawn. <laughs> Like, yeah, he goes, and then 10 seconds later, the doorbell rings. He's like, are you going to answer that door? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, yeah. That's a really yeah. good analogy. Yeah, I get your point. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah, the, the, the fish wasn't, the, wasn't the, there anymore. The fish wasn't there. No. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and uh, sharing your wisdom with us. I'm, I, you are fucking hilarious. I wish I could be a fourth grader and sit in your class just for, uh, well, I mean, that, that's, yeah, no, I appreciate that. The, um, I guess, like, 
you know, like for lack of a better term, like I guess I was like trying to be the teacher that I kind of wish I had or that not, not that I wish I had, but the teacher that I never had. Um, right. I mean, I don't think I had a male teacher until I was in like, certainly in high school. I definitely, I definitely yeah. did not have a grade school male teacher. Um, yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's fun. I enjoy what I do. Yeah. And you, you, do you feel like the kids resonate with it? Like when, you, by the time they leave the class, do you feel like, like, yeah, I've, I've done my job. Um, I mean, it's tough to say. I mean, I, th- I think some of those, you know, those measures aren't even, you know, you can't calculate them until, you know, they, you know, hit puberty and get into high school and start, you know, really developing who they are as a person. Um, so I think, you know, some of that is still yet to be seen. Oh, no. Well, Andrew, I hope you have a wonderful night for all you guys listening. Enjoy the rest of your evening, night, day, afternoon, whatever you're doing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button and stay tuned next week for your weekly dose of wisdom nuggets. Peace out. Thank you.